Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello, welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I have to say that we're so honored and proud of this episode. It was really what this podcast is about. It was a meandering conversation that had great insight around every turn and corner. Now, you'll know our guest this week, or at least you'll know his work. Our guest is Tom Rath, and he is the author behind Strengths Finder 2.0, which literally is the best-selling nonfiction book ever on Amazon. Like, let that sink in for a minute. And that's not all. Tom also wrote the book, How Full Is Your Bucket?, which you may be aware of, especially those with kids, because it's taught in almost every school. And I just, after going back over this episode, the timeliness of it, the honesty, is just getting me, right? As we all sit in our houses, sometimes scared, sometimes nervous, sometimes maybe hopeful for what there is on the other side. There's so much in this episode about who do you want to be? How do you want to contribute? Where do you derive meaning? And a lot of this is because Tom's new book is called Life's Great Question. Discover how you contribute to the world. So I really just wanted to say that I hope you get a chance to listen. I know a lot of our schedules are thrown off. I'm definitely not traveling as much as normal or at all. And maybe take a moment to sit back and think, you know, in the whirlwind that's going on, in the madness, 
if and when we do come out the other side, how do you want to be different? What has this illuminated for you? What matters in your world? What's important? What were we doing that wasn't important? And if we can help at all in that, please let us know. We are strengthening this community. We just last week ran a phenomenal webinar with Doug Hench about resilience, where we had about 50 people from all over the world join us live on Zoom and interact and talk to Doug. And, and we want to do more than that. So to communicate with you, in addition to this podcast, we're putting a lot of our stuff out via email. So go to smartpeoplepodcast.com and just sign up for the newsletter there. You can just scroll all the way to the bottom of the site and sign up there. I'm trying to have John put a little pop-up window for the time being as well. We're going to be doing video shorts. So we have a bunch of guests who have recorded three, four, five-minute videos for our community just while we're all stuck inside of things we can do to continue to get better. And again, that's just one thing we're adding. We're going to be doing our own videos episode summaries, things like that. And all of this is going to at least initially come out via our newsletter. Also, we've had some incredible people recently decide to support us on Patreon. Thank you so much to some of our newest Patreon supporters, Lisa, Alan, AJ, Jody, Kara, Patricia. We're just so thankful that you would take the time, the money, the thought to support us there. And for anybody interested, head to patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast for two or five bucks a month. You get some great perks. You can ask guests questions, add free episodes, and a straight line to John and I. So let's get on with our interview for this week with Tom Rath as we talk about how you can contribute to the world and so much more. Stay safe and enjoy. Absolutely. And look, many people know you from StrengthsFinder. And of course, we're going to cover that. You have this incredible new book out, Life's Great Question, Discover How You Contribute to the World, which really, I think, is a big part of what our show is about, helping people find that thing. So it couldn't line up more perfectly. But I want to start with this. I heard that you are Amazon's number one best-selling nonfiction author of all time. And first... I would like you to corroborate that for me. But second, what advice would you give aspiring authors on how to be successful in their endeavor? You know, I, I think I think the accurate statement is that StrengthsFinder 2.0, the book I wrote, is the number one selling nonfiction book of all time on there. When, when <laughs> there I, you go. I've seen that listed on Amazon. It, you know, the advice I would give is... And these are things I've, the latter I've kind of learned through a lot of repetition experience in recent years is one is you've, you're going to have to be far more comfortable than most of us are sharing very direct and compelling stories. Because I, I think, you know, I think when I got into this business originally, you could kind of pull a bunch of important facts together and give some advice. And that was a recipe that might work. I don't, I think that's changing. And one of the things that we worked on with this book is uh, we did more of a pure story-based version with Amazon that really caught on. Called It was titled, It's Not About You, but it didn't have all the application and research and all the stuff of the hardcover book, Life's Great Question. Um, and it was just kind of an experiment because apparently on Kindle, 
people just read narrative form for the most part versus you want the more application-oriented business book on your shelf for reference and the like. So I think you've got to think more about your audience and how you reach them. Um, The other kind of overarching piece of advice I would share is it really helps if you give people something they can do. And so um, that's why we spent more time on the Contribify website and online uh, inventory and profile that comes with this book than we probably did on the book part of it. And going all the way back to the first book I worked on, uh, Helpful is Your Bucket, where we printed these little drops that people could share and write to each other that were in the back of the book. I think almost any uh, project like that's better if there's a way that people who the concepts resonate with can grab onto it and share it and apply it in their lives. That's a fantastic point, especially about the Kindle and the narrative portion. You're, you're, I can see how that applies even in my life. You know, if, mm-hmm. if it's a book that I really need to soak up, I have to have it in, and I actually prefer um, hardcover, but because I highlight everything, like my right. books are just highlighted and scratched up and I, I can't really get into Kindle. And I think it's because I don't read a lot of narrative types. So that's interesting. I want to ask you, you mentioned something you can do. I, I think it can be intimidating for the average person to think about that. As we talk to somebody like yourself who really contributed to StrengthsFinder, how does the average person create an action item onto their book when they don't have the resources of, say, a Gallup behind them? Well, you know, the, the like I mentioned, the drops we did with Helpful is Your Bucket, those li- which are just little pieces of paper in the form of a like a teardrop, essentially, that you write, here's why you filled my bucket, or it's a note of appreciation or thanks. And those are now just kind of used pretty open source. And I think most of the public schools around the country where teachers have them up in classrooms and they use it for kind of behavior management and all that. And it was just some little kind of free activity that people can do. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be uh, some big grand thing. There's another book we worked on for kids about uh, eat, move, sleep, and energy, where we put little stickers in the book and um, kids could use that to show when they're fully charged and the like. So in some cases, StrengthsFinder is a good example of that was a huge uh, multi-year, multi-million dollar R&D project that uh, Gallup worked on for a long time. And that does take a lot of time and a lot of investment and the like. But I think there are simple things that people can do with the format of a book, with activities in a book, with group th- group uh, tools that people can download from a website and use and the like. And um, you know, the more I've spent time talking with other authors about this, it, it there's almost the bars being raised a little bit to where you need to find new ways to engage with readers so they don't just set a book down and forget about it for the next few years. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, you probably see it. Like you said, you've been writing for a long time. We've been doing this show for a long time. The amount of just books being written, and it's not a bad thing. It's just making it hard to sift through so much of the noise. I mean, on any given day, I'll get 10 emails for people requesting to be on the show. And each person as an individual is incredible. I mean, really, they're they're incredible people. But when you're just trying to maybe pitch it in a, in a press release or an email or whatever it is, things just bleed together. Okay. You know, like mm-hmm. another book on leadership, how to engage your team, how to make it to the next level. 
how to, you know, have empathy. I mean, it's all these things, they, they, they get muddied. So really that differentiation factor is a, an area of focus for you, it sounds like. Well, yeah. I mean, then the other elephant in the room is it's just a lot easier to let the next episode autoplay on Netflix instead of reading a book nowadays, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the if you think about the limited amount of time and attention each of us have as readers in a given day, I mean, it's why to this day, and I'll go all the way back on, this is book number 10, and I continue to spend about 10 hours deleting and editing stuff for every one hour I spend writing wow. because I... I have come to appreciate how valuable one reader's uh, time is where I don't want them to have to spend unnecessary time digging through the weeds if they do happen to buy a book that I've worked on. Wow. And I actually wanted to ask you, this was a perfect um, segue into your writing process. And again, if if listeners are wondering, why do I keep asking Tom this? Well, you've written like so many incredible books. It, it's not just, we interviewed a guy not too long ago who had written and this is a claim, 50 books. And I'm like, yeah, but that number is almost arbitrary. I mean, it, they just weren't, in my opinion, all the quality that you put out. And that's why I'm so curious in your process. So what does it look like from maybe ideation to execution as you write a book? Yeah, you know, I've most of the work that I do is probably from a time standpoint goes into the uh, reading and research of specific topics that are of interest to me. So I spent years and years compiling different sections of research in a program called Evernote I use to store everything I read. Mm -hmm. um, and that that eventually I started to pull together and organize, became the book Eat, Move, Sleep, because I'd been piling all the best advice I could find on health and well-being into those big categories, for example. So it usually starts with a lot of research on different topics and then deciding at some point to pull that together into a book. And then, you know, the the thing I learned along the way is once you think you have an idea there that's good for a book, it's probably a good idea to go test that idea as a book title, as a book topic with a bunch of people before you even start writing at all. Um, because I, I think there, and I've done this and I think there are a lot of people I see do this where they get committed to a topic or a title and really didn't flush it out enough early on. And then they spend a few years on it, eventually publish it and realize that it wasn't a topic that necessarily resonated with as many people as they might've expected. Um, wow. so I, I, I do extensive market testing of titles and topics before there's any writing that goes into it. Hmm. Um, and I mean, we'll even test kind of covers and ideas early on. So it's, I mean, if you think about, I would encourage people to bring kind of the method and mindset of A-B testing for technology products and emails and the like into the early process of what what are topics that people are interested to read about. And then it gets into the steps of doing, I usually just try and write, I don't know, 50, 60,000 words uh, in a row and kind of send chapters off to editors and friends. And I'm really open with that process because I want people to see the earliest, most raw stuff. So I get advice on what to cut before we waste time cleaning up things that'll end up on the chopping block. You mentioned something there as you were talking about A-B testing. One thing that stuck with me from literally over 10 years ago was in the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, he talked about doing that through social media ads, specifically Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done anything like that? Use social media to A-B test and maybe 
you know, his whole thing was create different titles, make them ads, and then just see how each ad performs. And that will clue you in on the title and the topic. You ever do that? I did a little bit of that with um, some of Google's advertising engine, a little bit just in a small way with some Facebook and email based testing. Um, but nowadays, to be really honest, the um, kind of broad uh, consumer based survey platforms that at least tell you who composes a sample um, in good detail they mm-hmm. are so readily available and it's gotten so inexpensive that it's 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 almost more cost effective to use some of those platforms instead of the spending on the ad buy. And is that something like SurveyMonkey? Yeah, I think they have stuff or Google has a consumer survey platform that I've used for kind of non, when you don't need real rigorous representative stuff, but for product testing, all those work pretty well. This episode is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. I hope you're staying home, hope you're staying healthy. And if you're like me, most of us are sticking close to home for the time being. So if you haven't signed up for The Great Courses Plus yet, now is the time to do it. If you're like Chris and I, you love learning. And there's no better place to learn than on The Great Courses Plus. With thousands of lectures from the world's best professors and experts, The Great Courses Plus is a great way for everyone to stay informed and engaged. And now more than ever, you'd be able to better understand our current situation with reliable, fact-based courses like An Introduction to Infectious Diseases, to learn about viruses, vaccines, and disease transmission, or Money and Banking, What Everyone Should Know, to help you contextualize the current stock market. And lastly, Fighting Misinformation, Digital Media Literacy, to help you interpret fact from fiction in the news. We could all use all of this information right now. Or if it's for the kids, help them keep learning about math, science, and history while they're out of school. Or use this time to pick up a new hobby like gardening, cooking, or practicing yoga. Even how to speak a new language. With the Great Courses Plus app, we can watch or listen at any time. From a phone, tablet, or internet-connected TV. If you haven't started with the Great Courses Plus, don't worry. Now is the perfect time to start. The Great Courses Plus is giving our listeners this amazing offer. You can get a free trial, and it's only $10 a month when you sign up for a quarterly plan. Sign up today using our URL to get started. Find all the details at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smartpeople. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smartpeople. Remember, you can start learning today. Head over to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smartpeople. And now back to the episode. There's another thing you said, let's address the elephant in the room. And I love that you said, look, people are watching Netflix. It's just easier. And that's not even, in my opinion, a judgment. It's just truth. I mean, even I do it. I'm curious, though, you have really poured much of your life into a lot of these books. So things like Strengths Finder, uh, How Full Is Your Bucket, Eat, Move, Sleep, this new one, they, they all follow a similar theme. How do we utilize our unique strengths, abilities, uh, passions to improve the world, essentially, and enjoy our time here? And I'm sure, aside from writing, you've given talks and podcasts and all these things. How do you deal with the fact that you can't control how your message is not just perceived, but taken in and utilized? And what I mean by that is, as a trainer, as a facilitator, 
I put so much into workshops and sometimes people want to accept it and sometimes they don't. And I find it can wear on me a little bit when I feel like, hey, you know, we're trying to help you or we have this good message or I'm pouring myself into this and you you might not want to hear it. Has that ever crossed your mind or has that ever bothered you? Um, it, it has. And but the more I I mean, I've, I've tried things that have not resonated or been taken differently in the like many, many times in my career. And one of the things I've learned from it is it's why you've got to constantly be kind of watching and testing things, many of which won't work, uh, to see what resonates most with your audience. A good a good example would be, you know, I like so I work on this book, Eat, Move, Sleep, after compiling decades of information about how to kind of live longer and good health and the like. And um, that's still not enough to get some of the, let's say some of my in-laws who I would love to read something like that to be a little healthier to study it because they don't read nonfiction books. But when I looked at what, uh, there was a popular video at the time uh, you probably heard of called Forks Over Knives, right? Oh yeah. But but if, if I mail that same person Forks Over Knives and tell them to hit play, boom, that works, right? Ah, yeah. So, I mean, it's I think you gotta, it's it's good and even in someone like me who traditionally does a lot of books, you've got to be experimenting with it. Are there better ways to do things with video? Are there better ways? I mean, audio's really caught on and been a whole new thing. And I was just talking with a fellow author a couple of weeks ago about how little we've done to reinvent business books for the audio format. And that needs a lot more time and attention and work. Ah. Um, I'm going to start thinking about soon. So I, I I think we'll need to be a little bit more adaptive and see where the patterns go. I would have guessed 10 years ago, if you would have said to me, what percent of business books will be on a Kindle or an e-reader? I would have said, oh, I'll go to 90% by 2020. And I would have been dead wrong. It's 90% hardcover still. Wow. So you got to, I mean, you guys got to keep watching the patterns and then kind of help to help the information you're passionate about to meet another person where they're ready to hear it, essentially. I love that. In, in my mind, when I hear that, just summarizing it, it's really twofold, right? It's, look, if you're not paying attention and trying to get better, that's on you. It's not on them, right? We can't put mm -hmm. that on the audience, whoever it is, it's on us to get better. And then the second is meet people where they are. If you believe you have something important, then find the medium and the way in which they'll get it and get it to them that way. And again, it kind of goes back to, this is the creator's job, especially these days with all of the types of media available. Right. Well, Tom, I want to kind of move on a little bit and just talk a little bit about StrengthsFinder because it's been so pertinent in people's lives. How is something like that created? Because, you know, look, I don't want to spend too much time. People have taken it. They know it. Um, and I want to talk about your new book as well. But I think one of the things that people don't understand enough is how the sausage is made. Yeah, and StrengthsFinder is a, a pretty unique one from my bias vantage point because um, my my grandfather was Don Clifton, who was kind of the father of strength psychology and real involved in the early days of positive psychology. And Don essentially uh, started off as an assistant professor at the University of Nebraska uh, back in the late 1960s. And at some point he realized that, you know, there's got to be a much better way to get people lined up with the right job. So uh, he started a business back then in the late 60s that was all based, most of the business was matching the right person with the right job. So he built person-to-person -person interviews that could be conducted face-to-face -face or over the phone 
so you could get the right truck driver and a truck driving job. You could get a teacher and a teaching job and a whole different interview for pharmaceutical salespeople, for example. And so then you fast forward about 30 years and Don spent 30 years building a big business that eventually became Gallup um, around that methodology in large part. And so when I joined him in uh, 1990, it was at the very end of 1998, uh, one of the questions we were asking is, could you take all these thousands of interviews that he'd built and assembled, and could you make one more common instrument that uh, pulls together the most universal themes of human talent in order to give people a quicker uh, read using web-based technology? The internet was emerging at the time, and we were sitting around saying, well, should this be a desktop app? Should it be a web-based app? And we ended up with a web survey. And the first iterations of that, I think, started to come out in uh, 99, roughly. All of the information that went into that was essentially the accumulation and culmination of uh, 25 to 30 years of interviews across hundreds of different positions, knowing which responses predicted performance in a variety of those roles. So um, that was... I. I would, I would argue very different from a lot of the web-based quizzes and tests and things that you see out there, because in addition to all the upfront work, I mean, we spent several years just testing and narrowing down to those 34 themes of talent and looking at the reliabilities when people took it six months later and the like, and making sure that the themes kind of held together statistically and structurally. And um, so that is a big multi-million dollar R&D effort that uh, went into the creation of that. And really, I would you could argue it took 30 years, but then putting the web-based application together took another two or three years before it was really out there in its current and final form. Wow. You know what one of the biggest takeaways from that is, and I think it helps, especially as people listen to this episode, where we talk about your success as an author and how to find work that we enjoy and energizes us and things like that is StrengthsFinder is a household name and anyone would love to be the author of that or creator of that or something like that. But it's a multi-decade process that takes so many people and, and that's what creates or that's one of the inputs for life-changing work, you know, game-changing work. And I think it's just another testament to sometimes in a society of instant success that in reality, the things that stand the test of time and that we value, it took exponentially more in creation than we often think of. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a fun point. It's a really good point because I mean, I think all really good work that makes a difference like that is built on shoulders, on top of shoulders, on top of shoulders. And um, I think Don, who was probably the principal, um, architect of everything around strengths there, and especially StrengthsFinder, um, he would he would be the first one to say that there are literally hundreds, if not more likely thousands of people who conducted those interviews and put together or went and did focus groups of people who were driving trucks. And I did interviews with Disney chefs for a long time, asking mm-hmm. them about what makes them tick. And so it's, it's a culmination of a just enormous body of research and thousands of hands went into it to make something like that. Given all your experience of research and given that much of this is your life on a personal level, is there anything you say that struck you as commonalities amongst everyone who has achieved a level of personal success? 
You know, one thing I've observed recently, and it's not universal, but I think the real legends, the ultimate leaders that I've studied in everything from government to business to nonprofit sectors, uh, they ask really good questions and they genuinely listen to the response. I was I was on a call with someone who was at the very highest level of the government just a couple of weeks ago and uh, helping him with a book he's working on. And, you know, I, I call him on a Saturday morning and he just wanted to ask me questions and talk about how my health's doing, what I'm working on, all this stuff. But what I found is the higher up you get in terms of leaders I've admired most in this world, the more other directed they are, the more likely they are to ask me good questions, challenge me, listen to me. Um, Don, who I mentioned, was kind of the ultimate at that. No, I've never seen anybody do that better than that. Um, and so, I, and, and especially in a future where we're going to have so many stimuli flying at us each day from dings and buzzes and email and calls and all that. I think the leaders who genuinely take the time to observe people carefully, to call out specific talents that people might not have noticed, to ask good questions and to listen, boy, they're going to be the ones that take us forward. Look, I didn't pay, you know, for those listening, I didn't pay Tom to say that, but it's just, it aligns so well, right? This whole podcast is, I am a firm believer in curiosity is one of the most important traits, you know, real mm -hmm. curiosity, um, not the kind that just kind of either satisfies what you already believe, you know, the kind, like you said, where you ask and you truly just listen and sink into the other person so that you can absorb some of it. I, I, I really love that. And it's validating to hear you say that. You mentioned something there. It reminded me, I read that when I was doing this research that you were diagnosed with cancer at age 16. Is that true? Yeah. You know, I, I found out when I was 16, I have a really rare disorder that essentially causes cancer to pop up all over, over oh my whatever, gosh. whatever span of a lifetime. So I lost an eye to cancer when I was 16 and I've since battled kidney cancer. I currently have uh, pancreatic tumors and uh, some big spinal tumors right now I'm battling. So it's, it's been a lifelong battle. And I've, I mean, the, Back then, the kind of over-under on lifespan was about 37 years, and I'm, uh, I think, 44 now. So, Wow. Um, it's, 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 yeah, that's been an ongoing challenge for me. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Have you looked at your wireless bill lately? You're probably paying too much. It's 2020. Network coverage is better than ever, no matter your wireless provider. So why pay more for the same service? That's where Mint Mobile comes in. They can cut your bill down to 15 bucks a month for the same premium coverage. I know what you're thinking. This is too good to be true, but these guys absolutely know what they're doing. I've had Mint Mobile for almost a year now, and I absolutely love the service. I couldn't recommend them anymore. Why, you may ask? Well, your old wireless bill pays for expensive retail stores and overhead. That's why Mint Mobile reimagined how you buy wireless and made it all online, passing all the savings directly to you. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just 15 bucks a month. Every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text plus crazy fast 4G LTE. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. And listen, if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. We know, this sounds awesome. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, Go to mintmobile.com slash smart. That's mintmobile.com slash smart. 
Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash smart. And now back to the episode. And again, I didn't know the full extent of it. And as you say that, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, no wonder why you've dedicated so much of your life to what I believe is, and obviously you do too, perhaps one of the most important things, which is to, to just better the world, right? Uh, through others. And I, it's just, I, I wonder, is it that perspective that you've gotten from understanding how fragile life can be that's really guided your purpose? You know, I'm curious, what impact do you think that's had on your, your life's work? You know, it's interesting you ask that because it has guided my thinking and my work on a daily basis. Essentially, I'm always trying to wake up and figure out how can I contribute to something today that will continue to grow when I'm gone. Mm. And it's, I mean, that just, that helps to focus most of my daily energy on the efforts that matter most, the people who matter most and care less about getting to inbox zero. Right. right. Um, so <laughs> oh, it's, but it, that I didn't talk much about that changing my focus in previous books or before this book, Life's Great Question. But then as I started to dig into the research on this, it turns out that uh, youth who have faced a real challenge or threat to their mortality between the ages of 12 and 18, roughly, uh, actually have higher levels of well-being and resilience and all these factors that, I mean, scientists are now kind of calling that post-traumatic growth, essentially. Mm. Um, and so... I didn't realize that that's a thing that's documented and it wasn't just something specific to me. Um, but it looks like, you know, I, the, my, my learning from that research paired with my own experience is that I think when we view our time as finite, we make better decisions about focusing on the things that matter most. I had this kind of flash, one of those thoughts where you wonder where it came from just two days ago. Cause I, I feel like I'm getting older. I mean, I, I have two little kids and I, since I've had kids, I, I noticed that I can witness time passing because I see it in their growth. It's almost like I'm watching my time through them and not in a, not in a morbid way, but just in a, for the first time ever, I can almost see it. And mm -hmm. I realized, I think that is the purpose of having a limited amount of time, because if I had infinite time or even hundreds and hundreds of years, I could constantly just tell myself, I'll do it later. And even now with the, the finite time we do have, I think so many of us, myself included, still use that excuse. So for somebody like yourself, and as you're mentioning those that, you know, between 12 and 18, that experience it, it just brings to the forefront how we don't have that much time and how not hopefully in a way that limits you, but almost expands you to try new things. It seems like you're almost a testament to that. Yeah. And, you know, even in my current structure and the way I kind of work through my days, tomorrow is my biggest enemy, because it, if I say, oh, I can always do it tomorrow, it, I've got to try and bring myself back to, you know, you have today to do something that will continue to be helpful or an influence, whether that's for one of my kids, someone I'm working with or working on a writing project, whatever it might be. I've found it's we're, it's you, you end up having much better days when you say I have today and here are the things that I can do. And it's why the what inspired and kind of anchored a lot of this most recent book, Life's Great Question, was my favorite quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, 
What are you doing for others? And, you know, that may sound like a broad existential question, but I've tried to ask myself that question at least once a day for the last Mm. few years. And it's been really helpful because it gives me the motivation and reason and kind of pragmatic reminder to focus on what's important more than what's urgent and flying at me. You know, what strikes me about that is as I myself and, and my producer really try and grow what we're doing here, I can find myself alternating between what is our mission? Like, why do we start this? And it's really to help others with curiosity. But on the flip side, I will fall into this. What do I need to do today to make this more successful? And the small difference is that becomes very internally focused. What do I need to do? How do I make this successful? What do we need to put out to make this more downloaded or make more money or whatever it is. And it's actually, and I think this is a lot what your book talks about. That is actually a way to drain energy for me. It's a way to feel less inspired when I think I'm doing it for me. Yeah. You know, that's been the biggest learning for me as I've worked on this book and website is that focusing on another person is the single easiest way to get out of your own head. The more I've trained myself to do that in recent years, it's so much, you can move through a day and it's so much less stressful because you're not internalizing, worrying about what people are thinking. The more you can essentially map out what the world around you needs and the uh, kind of demand side of the equation and say, how am I serving some of these needs and how am I helping people? And then it's also important to say, how can you acknowledge when you do make a difference for someone? Because if you don't acknowledge it, you're less motivated and you don't feel as good when you go home that day and you're not as likely to be wound up about it the next day. So there's a, there's kind of a piece of acknowledging that you're doing something that makes a difference as well. Wow. That is key because I don't do that enough. I definitely don't. And you're right. Yeah. And you're right that it's okay to sit back and say, I impacted somebody in, in any sense. And it almost, it adds to that motivation. I didn't expect to go down this path, but It's just really opened it up for me. I mean, we do this thing called Patreon where people can support the show. And every time somebody does that, and it could be for as little as $2 a month, it sets me back for a minute. I write them a a specific note. I say, how else can we help? You know, we help. And it's like my way of getting out from behind a microphone and saying, this is a person in the world, could be across the world, and they're choosing to support us in a way. And It's that connection that reaffirms almost, I think we can get caught in our worlds too much, I guess is what I'm saying, in in Mm -hmm. the way how I can just sit behind a mic and talk to tens of thousands of people, and it's not as motivating. And again, it's all about what you talk about, how we're kind of built to take what we're good at and utilize it to better the world. Yeah, and it's. I think that's, we've got to find little ways to, I mean, the one thing we can all do is to help other people spot where they're doing things that make a difference. So if you're in a customer facing role, for example, if you can turn around even one customer who comes in and is really frustrated about a problem they've had with a product or service or whatever, and get them back to neutral, that's a meaningful interaction that likely changes the trajectory of that person's day. And we've got to make sure we take a minute to let that count. And I mean, the same thing with, I've got, my kids are nine and 11. And if my son who's nine if he remembers what eight times seven is tomorrow after I worked him over for 30 minutes yesterday, <laughs> that's a little victory I'll celebrate and do a dance for tonight, right? By the way, I just have to throw this in. As you mentioned, kids, 
your book, How Full Is Your Bucket? Like, it's crazy. So I mentioned I have two little kids and they both go to this preschool area and they the entire school uses it. I mean, it's it's now much more than a book. It's just common phrasing. So we'll say, did you fill somebody's bucket? Or they'll say, that doesn't fill my bucket. It's really incredible. Do you realize the impact that that almost that one liner has had in the world? You know, I, I still have to use that line on a weekly basis with my 11 year old. So I, <laughs> yeah. it, it keeps working. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, of all the things that I've been a part of in my career, um, that's probably been the most meaningful when I step back and reflect on it, because it's, I mean, when I, my kids started at the little public school down the road here in Arlington and um, in their first year in kindergarten, the school's already been doing all the bucket stuff every year for a long time. And it was just a part of their culture and they didn't know me or my connection to it or anything else. So it's, it's been fun to see how that's just kind of, and the teach I asked the teacher about it who'd been using it. And she said, you know, it's just become our classroom management strategy for how kids can treat one another. And, uh, you know, when Don and I started working on that book, uh, almost what, 15 plus years ago now, um, we were thinking about it as a business book and it took on its own life in schools so much that then we did a children's book that um, really ha has had its own life now. And that's, that's been really neat to see. Yeah. I'm actually, it's funny. I'm looking at it on Amazon and I don't know. I mean, there's so many different versions, but I'm seeing the children's book has 531 five-star reviews and the business book has 441 and it's at five stars. So there's actually more reviews on the children's one at this point, which I totally believe, given how ubiquitous it's become in the school system. Right. And what yeah, a it's, testament. It's a, it's a fun learning in how the um, most basic and kind of boiled down, distilled concepts can have such a lasting influence. And mm. I, we, we spent a lot of time talking about that, about, you know, is it, Don grew up on a farm. I grew up in Nebraska. Uh and we we're saying, well, is it too colloquial? Will, will it not work on the coast? I remember having that. Ah, kind of, yeah. Um, because it was literally about kind of the old ladle that you dip in a farm bucket. And but sure enough, it's it's continued to stick around and work and hasn't been lost in translation. So it works. Yeah, it's fun to say. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. At Smart People Podcast, we absolutely love Audible. We know everybody doesn't have the free time to sit down and just read all day, but we do know that you have the ability to listen to things throughout your day because, hey, you're listening to this podcast. You could be listening to audiobooks as well. And I know plenty of you are still going strong with your New Year's resolutions, whether it's getting fit, reading more, or becoming a better parent, leader, person, whatever it may be, and Audible can absolutely help you with that. With Audible, each month, members get one credit to pick any title plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection. You can download titles and listen offline anytime, anywhere. And the app is free, and it can be installed on all your smartphones and tablets. And one of the coolest features of Audible, you can listen across devices without losing your spot. And if you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your credits for up to a year, and then use them to binge on a whole series if you'd like. And this week, we're recommending an audiobook by Tom Rath. It's not about you, a brief guide to a meaningful life. Head over to Audible and check it out. So listen up. Visit audible.com slash smart or text smart to 500-500. Yep, it's that easy. Head over to audible.com slash 
smart or text smart to 500-500. And now back to the episode. Well, just know that there is a little five-year-old in our house that, you know, knows that terminology and it's made an impact in his life. So, um, you know, as, as it has millions around the world. Well, Tom, I want to talk a little bit uh, more about Life's Great Question, your new book, Discover How You Contribute to the World. And I think we talked about, you know, the Martin Luther King quote that I think drove a lot of your ideas behind this book. I want to start off because I really try and bring it back to reality and what I see going across the country talking to people. I think most people deep down in their soul know that they want to contribute. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, what I find is the thing that holds us back the most, and some people call it fear, but that fear is often based in reality. It's circumstance. So, you know, I've I've got uh, a new baby that maybe was unexpected and I have to make a certain amount of money and I'm in this job that I don't like, but I can't leave at the moment, or I've got an ailing parent, or I'm in school. You know, there's there's a lot of real circumstances that I think people can say, I'll focus on others once I can focus on myself or once I, I kind of can move past this immediacy. And I know you had to have thought about that. How do you answer or respond to that idea of, you know, um, do we have to focus on ourselves first before we can help others? Yeah. I mean, just very specific to that question from a physical health standpoint, I think the answer to that is yes, because I have observed that some of the leaders I admire most in this world and the professionals I admire most, so teachers, hospice nurses, and the like that I've spent a lot of time with in groups over the years, um, they are often the first to put everybody else's needs in front of their own. And they do it with the best of intentions, the best altruism and everything else. But the product of that, if you really get into it clinically, is that they're nowhere near as effective as they could be or they need to be for a patient at three in the afternoon or for someone who needs their help as a leader at four o'clock in the afternoon if they don't put those things first. So I think when it comes to your physical health, it's good to follow the old oxygen mask example and put yours on first so you can help other people, right? When you think about your career at a higher level, I don't think it's a good idea to wait around for circumstances and the stars to align. And um, it's kind of the, you know, the issue I've taken a little bit with people saying, well, follow your passion or just be more of who you are, which I've said over the years is that's a, it's a good place to start, but you really do need to think about how you're anchoring your career and your life's work on things that other people want and need and value at a fundamental level. So that's why a a part of what I've been working on here with uh, this Contribify inventory and profile is how do you get people to talk to one another in a more human way? So if you think about the language we use in resumes right now, I mean, you couldn't invent something that's more sterile and impersonal and cold and callous if you tried to. And so if you want to sit down and get to know someone who's applying for a job or someone who's joining a new team, I think we can do a better job of that. I think we need to start by talking about what matters most in our lives in terms of who we are. So instead of using what David Brooks called uh, resume values, use what he called eulogy values. So for me, that's being a dad, a husband, a researcher, and a writer. What are the real descriptors of who you are and what you do? And then as a part of that inventory, we ask people to talk about their miles or most influential life experiences. So you and I talked about one of mine where being diagnosed with that uh, disease at 16 was a real influential life experience. It changed 
who I am. And it's a good way for me to talk about who I am when I'm joining new groups and the like. And working on that book with Don in his final year of life was a big life experience for me that we've talked a little bit about. And then it gets into the strengths piece. So what do you consider to be your dominant natural talents? And then the final part of the Contribify application is we ask people to go through a series of 50 prioritization questions about how they want to contribute to the current team that they're on based on who else is on that team and what they know about the assignment and the like. So it's kind of an exercise in building a quick baseball card or profile that's far more human than a resume that one can help you get to know how you personally can contribute more to the world. And secondly, I think uh, I would hope that teams could get a lot better at having some of those discussions because right now when we bring teams together to tackle important tasks, in most cases, we all just hit the ground running and we never take the time to say, here's who I am and here's how I can uniquely contribute in a complimentary way. So at least we're not overlapping all the time. That's such a great point. I oftentimes think of it as just bringing the human back into business. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I get to work, you know, in these sessions with businesses. And I think one of the reasons why I've been successful at it is because I actually have never been able to dampen that part of me. So I worked in finance for a while and it's fairly stuffy and I I wasn't different at home than I was in the office. I've never been that way. And I think sometimes it's been hard because there is an expectation oftentimes that we are different. We're more buttoned up. We're more professional. We're more censored. We're more uh, whatever that is. And it's never made sense to me. And I think what you're advocating is for, yeah, you know, we we can't be less of ourselves at work and still expect to to get what we want and build the relationships we want and have the impact that we want. Yeah, it's a great point and a good thought because I, I think I think we should all expect our lives to be better off because of the work that we do. I think it's a really fair expectation for the future. And in most cases, that's not being met today, where on average, people are less healthy because of the organizations they're a part of. But I've clearly seen in some organizations, and I see the trend moving as well, that I think in the future, we should expect that we can have as much energy and be healthier when we get home from work as when we showed up in the morning. And we can expect that condition to repeat itself on most days when we're doing the work that we're a part of. But in order for that to happen, I think it's also important to note that I mean, I've spent five or 10 years trying to get organizations to make that a primary focus. And I think organizations are are going to continue to make sure that people are engaged when they're at work during the day, from nine to five or whatever hours you work. But I think it's up to each of us as individuals to take ownership for saying, I'm going to make sure over time I'm in a job that makes me a better parent, that makes me a better friend, that makes me more involved in the community, that improves my physical health and the like. In addition Mm. to the paycheck part, which is where a lot of us have to start. Yeah, where we have to start. I I think that's a good thing to recognize, right? It's that you definitely aren't saying, hey, we need to give up that aspect. Um, We can start there, but that's not going to get us everywhere we want to go. You mentioned it a few times, and I know our time's running out here. One thing I was curious about, I know you're a family man. You're obviously um, very successful in your career. I struggle with what I want to accomplish professionally versus knowing and knowing without hesitation that what I do at home is more important to me, but that's a struggle. And it's almost a sacrifice. I could be more successful at work if I was less successful at home. 
How have you managed that and, and really been able to do both, it sounds like? Well, there's constant tension in the rubber band in that regard for me because I like I, I I feel like I have made a lot of intentional choices, some that were difficult in order to be able to be as fully present and travel nowhere near as much as people would want me to travel, for example, because I know I mentioned my kids are nine and 11. They're still at an age where they want to spend time with me. And I know that won't last forever. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I've been fully taking advantage of that for the last five or 10 years. And, um, and I, and I know I I'm kind of intentionally planning that. I mean, maybe I get even more involved with a lot of ventures and career efforts down the road as my, as my kids are off and doing other things. Um, and there's some, I think there is some arc to that because you can't, be everywhere from like in the demand for my job. I can't be everywhere from a travel standpoint and be spending as much time with my kids as I'd like to, for example. So I, I think there are trade-offs, but to that point, I had a, a good friend challenge me as we were talking about this exact topic over the weekend about, you know, there are some organizations and you see it more in startups now where they're actually set up with the recognition and acknowledgement from their leaders that it is okay to focus on those things first and to prioritize your schedule and your time with family and your health and some of these other elements that that's he was, my friend was arguing that's starting to change in pocket. So, I mean, to the degree that that's true and there's a different mindset and approach and culture in an organization, it's probably a lot easier. Hopefully we are on the, on the right path. And Tom, honestly, I think your work has a lot to do with it. Your incredible books over the years. So thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show. Before we let you go, we mentioned the new book, Life's Great Question, Discover How You Contribute to the World. And you also mentioned there is also an assessment with this one. And so I was hoping with the final minute or two, you could tell us a little bit more about that assessment and then anywhere else we could find you or you would like to guide us to learn more. Yeah, the the new book, Life's Great Question, includes uh, code for readers of the ebook or the physical book to uh, go register and build that Contribify profile I was talking about is kind of a more human version of a resume. And uh, it takes them through a series of open-ended questions that are about the life experiences we talked about and the big roles you play and the like. And it also takes them through about 50 multiple choice questions. It's more of an exercise in prioritizing how you want to contribute to a team in these big areas. Um, so I'd encourage people to check that out and uh, share it with a, a friend or a team member to have kind of a good discussion about how you can work together with people in a more complimentary and productive way over time. And people can learn more about that at Contribify. It's C-O-N-T-R-I-B-I-F-Y.com or about any of the books that we've talked about at TomRath.org. Is everybody starting to go a little stir crazy too? I know I am. Thank you so much for continuing to listen and download the podcast. It means the world to us. Hopefully we can fill some of your day where you're staying in, either working from home or just trying to maintain the kids, whatever it is that you may be doing. We're truly appreciative of hopefully being there with you. All right. Well, that was our episode with Tom Rath. We hope that you enjoyed it. And of course, you can find all of Tom's amazing books wherever books are sold. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for downloading. We hope you subscribe. We hope you rate us on iTunes or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever app you listen to your podcasts. 
And if you'd like to reach out to the show, you can always email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod or Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I think we're on every social media except for TikTok that exists. So just message us on there if you ever want to get in touch. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, just head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com. You'll find all kinds of great information over there. You can sign up for the newsletter, all of those fun things. All right, that's it for us this week. Honestly, I don't even know what day it is. Could be Monday, could be Tuesday. All I know is it ends in day. But I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying healthy. Thank you again for downloading and listening to the podcast. And we will see you all next episode.